We at Center Maryland are so fortunate to have friends like John A. Heath. He is the External Affairs and Government Affairs Chief at Toro, which is a peer-to-peer ride-sharing app. Uh, It's an amazing piece of technology and a network that can put you in touch with any kind of car uh, that you're interested in. Almost like an Airbnb, but for cars. And so I go into BWI and uh, I've used two different uh, hosts or worked with two different hosts, uh, Joseph A. and Josh Y. out of the that BWI area. And had just uh, a wonderful experience. They held my hand through the whole thing. And as you, as you, uh, as you all know, it could not have been pretty. Uh, uh, me learning how to drive a Tesla, uh, uh, and these these folks were just incredible hosts, uh, and it was just like having this um, this wonderful uh, sharing experience over this remarkable piece of technology, both in the Tesla and in the app. And so, uh, I got a little too clever, as you all know. I sometimes can over uh, stretch the opportunity, and so, long story short, I tried to record this podcast from, of all places, a Toro Tesla. <laughs> um, not far from my uh, native lands there on Caton Avenue, charging up uh, said Tesla. So um, appreciate Pastor John Heath for all his wonderful uh, patience with this podcast. But uh, something special I could tell you about John is he just... Uh, he reaches out at those moments when you need somebody to reach out and like no other on the planet. And I uh, just want to thank him for that. And thank you all for tolerating this conversation. It was a busy day out there on Caton Avenue. So uh, I had a few distractions, but I think we made it through the podcast all right. And again, I want to thank John A. Heath for being such a wonderful friend and pastor for not only his congregation, but for me here as well. Thanks so much for joining us. Welcome to Center Maryland's The Lobby Pod. We are here with, uh, what I usually say to folks, uh, we are truly blessed to have our guests today, but we are truly blessed to have uh, a really remarkable guest, uh, not only in my lives, but in my life, but the life of, uh, you know, so many different people in our lobbying profession, uh, but also people of faith and uh, leaders in the spiritual community. Pastor John Heath is our guest. Love to welcome you to the Center Maryland Lobby. Well, uh, thank you so much, my long-term and long-time friend. Uh, we came up together in the Maryland General Assembly. We both worked for Mike Miller in different stints. Uh, and uh, this is, oh my goodness, you know, more than a quarter of a century of, of relationship and uh, you've been there for me in some of the challenging times even. Uh, and so I'm, I'm eternally grateful to you for your long-term friendship and certainly excited uh, to be with you today on the podcast. Uh, Toro, uh, what more can I say? This is my second stint uh, with Toro and uh, reunited and it feels so good if I could uh, right. channel That's some right. inner peaches and herb. Uh, and then if I could uh, channel my hip hop, uh, uh, Mace's take on the welcome back Cotter, 
uh, welcome back. Uh, I'm, I'm back and uh, excited to be back with such an incredible company that uh, you talked about this kind of entrepreneurial opportunity that Turo provides. It is uh, for many people, Damien, as you know, a vehicle is the second most expensive purchase that most people make next to their home. Uh, but you and I have also been in kind of real estate circles. So we understand some of the challenges and barriers of people getting homes. Uh, so a lot of folks uh, aren't able to get a house, but they are able to get a car. And Turo provides that opportunity for them to leverage that second largest asset. Uh, we uh, both have lived in Maryland and you know, folks in Maryland like nice cars, you know, they, they don't want to just get something. We, just. We spend so much time in them, you know, we spend yeah. so much time. Yes, sir. Uh, but the challenge is many of us have uh, uh, caviar taste on peanut butter budgets. And so Turo is even a tool, a resource, particularly uh, with the pandemic and people being home. Uh, that you're able to share your car uh, and earn money. Um, you know, some folks earning anywhere from $600 to $1,000 maybe, uh, depending on what market you're in, by sharing cars only uh, 10 days out of the month. Uh, so it's not even that someone has your car all the time. It's, it's 10 days. And um, you, you and I have been on the fight of diversity, uh, uh, in the fight, rather, related to diversity, equity, and inclusion. You have been such an ally for Black and Latino communities over the years. Um, and, you know, the wealth gap, the income gap still exists. And so Toro's not a silver bullet, but it's certainly a tool that many houses can use uh, to shrink that uh, income gap and uh, help bring in extra dollars. And then during the pandemic, Damien, folks lost jobs. There are people who literally were able to avoid repossession by sharing their cars on the Turo platform. Yeah, I mean, and as a consumer, I think folks will be surprised to notice how um, affordable it is as an option. I mean, I think since the uh, pandemic, the mid-pandemic travel that we've been seeing here has been so so significant um that the the rental car prices have been so high this is just such an afford more affordable option for a business traveler or or a family on vacation and unlike the rental car experience you know you're you're dealing with uh you're dealing with a wonderful app that you guys have put to that you all have put together uh, and then it's paired with like real people that are, are, are trying to strive and succeed to make your, you know, day or your week, um, you know, hassle free. So I just big shout out to, to whoever's educating and training these team members. You've got a heck of a culture together already. Yeah, we've got a great internal team that works with our hosts. Uh, we understand customer experience is so critical. Uh, we have one of the most fantastic CEOs in tech in Andre Haddad. And so it's something that permeates. It starts with him, certainly as a leader. Uh, he's also a host 
uh, ah. as well. Uh, yeah, so, that, that should give people a sense of the opportunity, right? I mean, yeah, you, could, and, you, could, you could be going on a business trip, you know, and arrange for it when you're away that your car is being used and it's there for you when you arrive. It's pretty exactly. special. Exactly. And so he models that. Uh, and then the the sales and, and and marketing team and folks that work with our hosts, um, you know, they do a good job of trying to support them and coach them. Um, my daughter, my oldest daughter and my niece, uh, Arturo hosts, uh, they even went in uh, on a vehicle. And so they uh, my niece is up in Vegas. So when people come in. To Vegas and want to have that experience, uh, they're, you know, looking at having those multiple streams of income. Look, while we have, while we have you here, I'd love to just dig in on your career because it's been fascinating. Uh, it, it's always been on an upward trajectory and you, you, you hate to, to measure things like that in a career or business, but my, my goodness, your career has just always been on this sort of growth curve. That's been enviable. And a lot of us have had a Thank chance you, to follow, um, you know, and, and I just wonder getting to this point where you are, where you're, you know, touching all the top uh, elected officials in the country, state by state, city by city, federal officials. I mean, you really have documented your uh, network as well as anybody. Uh, talk to me about what it feels like, you know, looking back on that 25 years that we've had together. Talk to me about what it feels like to be where you are now and and what that road to travel was like for you, because, you know, you said you mentioned something about uh, setbacks and I never saw anything like that. I always thought, you, you know, you just, you just seem to float effortlessly through uh, our universe of progress and persuasion. And, uh, you know, I'd love to know how you do it. Sure. Well, uh, you're familiar with my story. I came to Baltimore was living with some friends, became homeless, living in the Salvation Army Booth House Shelter, 1114 North Calvert Street, Baltimore, Maryland, 2121. I think that was eight. Uh, and uh, from there, started working for a homeless uh, uh, employment program, ran that break the cycle, then started working for Elijah Cummings and then uh, Clarence Mitchell, where we got to really know each other and, and establish relationship and, you know, have certainly had some valley moments during that. But the joke around the country, uh, one young lady said to me, she said, uh, Pastor Heath, I got to tell you, you know, we'd never know when you're struggling because you and your wife make struggle look real easy. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, some of those valley experiences, to your point, nobody knew because we just kept pressing in faith and now having kind of this national persona of being the co-founder of the National Black Professional Lobbyist Association. Um, I, I certainly had dreams of, of where I might be, uh, but this has been just so humbling um, you know, to have this level of relationship around the country, to be called on as a trusted source, to be 
um, if you will, a counselor and a coach for CEOs, C-suite leaders, elected officials. Um, it, it is so incredibly rewarding, but yet very humbling. And, and I'm just grateful to be here. And most importantly, you know, I've been saying to folks, you know, um, particular our peers, you know, we're closer to the end than we are to the beginning. We aren't 25 anymore, right? And so how do we help this next generation come up? And so even though I think I have a whole uh, nother uh, space and, and a whole nother dimension to go into professionally and personally, it's incumbent upon us uh, to help that next generation come up. And so whether it's in my role at Turo as the senior government relations and external affairs manager, whether it's as the co-founder of National Black Professional Lobbyist Association, civil rights leader, pastor, uh, and all these other hats that I wear, um, bringing that next generation up is so critical and helping them be successes is certainly something that's of prime focus for me right now. When you started the uh, National Black Lobbying Association, let me let, give, give me to that. Give that to us one more time so we can Google sure. it all together. Uh, National Black Professional Lobbyist Association, MBPLA. Uh, when I first saw that, you know, I was like, he's in the coach mode. Cause you know, if we're, if we, if we start that organization, if you start that organization 10 or 15 years ago, I would look at you and say, look at that guy's pretty smart. He's lining this group up, mm-hmm. you know, the group of the group of groups and that, but when you do it, like when I saw you do it, uh, you know, in the context of the age we are and now I was like, He's got the coaching bug, you know, and he does it with his, he does it obviously with uh, your congregation and and the people in your faith community, but you know, you've done it for us here too. And love to hear more about it. Sure. Well, MBPLA was born out of um, a very familiar experience. Um, I was trying to help my uh, co-founder, ironically, uh, who was is a black lobbyist, Greg Jones, uh, in Alabama. Uh, Greg at the time had Apple as a client. Uh, I tried to get him to be considered by a tech company uh, that certainly was not at Apple level. Um, they would not even give him uh, the courtesy of even presenting uh, himself, uh, presenting his qualifications, just kind of, uh, whatever. And they went with a firm. Are you ready for this? That he helped them get started. Wow. So it was a very painful experience for both of us. And so, you know, me, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm still from the hood. Uh, so those hood tendencies come out and, and the hood teaches us, you know, don't cry about it, do something about it. And so I said to my co-founder, uh, look, we need to develop an organization that helps strengthen uh, the position of black lobbyists, helps train the next generation and then allows 
uh, black lobbyists to get in the doors that they had not historically been in. Um, and uh, he then called Yolanda Cass Jackson, who is our third co-founder, uh, our executive director, uh, Terry Sharpley Reynolds. Um, and, you know, we now came up on two years. So we're still an infant organization, but we've made a lot of progress. And you'll remember this when I was working for the Ehrlich administration with Michael Steele. He was charged with reforming minority business and W uh, and women owned business enterprise in the state of Maryland. And what we found that those white captains of industry were not these racists that just didn't want to do business with black people and uh, Latinos and API community. They weren't sexist because they didn't want to do business with women. What we found is that their circles didn't include these groups didn't include black people, didn't include uh, a lot of women of color. And so we created that mentee uh, mentor relationship, construction industry to construction industry, IT to IT. Uh, in the three year period, many of those WBs and MBs became prime contractors because that majority company, that white led company, just had such an incredible experience with them that they started putting them on more jobs and more jobs. Um, and so we think that the ability for many of these uh, top tier uh, law firms that have government relations and public policy practices, uh, some of the larger corporations, um, if they're able to become aware of uh, our members who are uh, contract lobbyists, then boom, there's the contracts that open up. That's generational wealth creation. But then also for the corporate folks on my side, um, hey, you know, we've got a lot of experience uh, black lobbyists who are ready to take leadership positions in these corporate spaces. And so that's what we're working on. Uh, we're seeing some progress again as a two-year-old organization, and I can't wait to see us in the years to come on what we're going to be able to achieve. Yeah, I'm really psyched for you because I've just had my own personal experiences uh, and I'm growing every day and, and you're kind enough to say I'm an athlete but sometimes I feel like, yeah, I, I put together a diverse team, but it, it might be a diverse team in my eyes from as I was coming up or relative to the community I'm working in, which is sure. you know important, but you know, it's nice to have a pipeline of people that you can consult with. Exactly. Um, you know, and, and you know, the, the, the people in your organization, Lobbying may be a principal expertise, but they're bringing so much more to the ball game than, than oh, just the government affairs, you know. And, so. and that's one of the things that we've tried to communicate to folks that, um, you know, and this is not a, a any kind of slight to to our other brothers and sisters in in the the profession, but black lobbyists have to be multidisciplinary. So it's not just the lobbying, it's the external affairs, it's the public affairs, it's having the media contacts. 
Um, and then oftentimes with black lobbyists, they oftentimes come in with instant third party groups that are attached to them. So if you got a lobbyist who's a Delta, you rest assured that the sisters of Delta Sigma Theta <laughs> are going right? to help that successful. <laughs> you you know Delta days at the Capitol. Yeah, if um, you're coming from the 44th or 45th legislative district, yes, uh, West and East yes, Baltimore, like we were respectively. You better know that, right? You yes, learn it quick. Sir. And and you know you you work for the Mr. Kappa Alpha size, so <laughs> um, you know the Kappas will show up, and so there are these these advantages often that we try to help um, you know corporate interests and even firms understand when you have uh, that black lobbyist. They, they come in with some of those instant third-party relationships that they're able to mobilize that, quite frankly, their other counterparts do not have. Well, if you, you know, look, the, 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 the silver bullet in my world is if we can find the black lobbyist with a uh, environmental expertise and deep labor ties. That sounds to me like the well, all we need to triple do is threat. Fun. We got to clone Van Jones again. That's all. That's right. That's right. I mean, he's the only one that's been able to get anything through Congress, right? Well, and, 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 you know, people don't understand his story, but, you know, how he made his bones, you know, was in the environmental space and that whole environmental justice deal. You know, now he's kind of morphed uh, into, you know, the political commentator and things of that nature. But, you know, uh, to your point, those are some areas that uh, as we're able to, you know, kind of build that 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 bench, if you will, that that, you know, we want to make sure that we have like a database of all the top tier black lobbyists in the country so that when you need representation and, um, you know, we we want to hopefully have the Rooney rule instead <laughs> like NFL football, except, you know, instead of like the NFL, just interview people. Uh, we hope that you'll actually select people, but that's a whole nother story. <laughs> Talk to me about uh, your experience with uh, the general counsel at Turo, Michelle Fang, is it? That yes. Yeah. Talk to me about her. She seems like an incredible dynamo. And, and, and I confess from following your, your LinkedIn, I, I can tell she has a special role in your world. I'd love to, yeah. I'd um, love to hear, I'd love to hear about her. Sure. I'd love you to try to connect her to, you know, some elements maybe that uh, of somebody that helped you out when you were young in your career and sure. love to know what, what, what traits those are to, for, for somebody to come out and, and be close to you and be, and be close to a leader like you. Uh, well, uh, as our uh, fearless, tenacious uh, general counsel, Michelle Fang, not only leads the legal department, but she oversees government relations. So, uh, I report to I believe I believe that's the way it should always be done because <laughs> you don't know anything about legal until you have an understanding of what's going on in government affairs, right? Exactly. <laughs> so, and, and vice versa. 
And so she has been uh, leading us. Um, I think she's been at Turo maybe eight years, thereabouts, somewhere thereabouts. Uh, but she's been instrumental. Um, she was very instrumental in my return as well. Uh, when I initially interviewed with Turo, uh, my former VP, who's now with Waymo, Michelle Peacock, um, you know, was just like, hey, you know, want to bring you in, interview you. I was so excited, you know, tech company. And they didn't hire me. Uh, and, you know, I was telling people, if I don't get hired for this job, I'm calling not the police, but the police. That's Baltimore. They don't understand. <laughs> I'm calling the police because I got robbed. And so uh, they didn't select me. Uh, and our current VP, they didn't select him either. Uh, but he was able to make the case. Um, and then he got hired. Then they brought me on uh, for a contract in Maryland uh, to do some community engagement and legislative work. And then she was like, look, let's stop playing around, come on board. And so uh, started with Turo and Michelle Fang was just so incredible during the interview process. And one of the things Michelle Peacock would always remind me of is that, look, Fang pushed to get you hired. So this is a woman who has been supporting me from day one. Um, she's been incredibly supportive of the GR team, making sure we have resources, um, making sure that she's an advocate for us in the C-suite. Um, she's just been a fantastic leader. Um, she does not just care about you professionally on what you produce, but she cares about you as a person. Um, during the social unrest and upheaval, um, you know, her sensitivity to me because she knew I was being pulled in various directions all across the country, uh, nationally, in, in, in Phoenix and in Sacramento, folks were calling me in Baltimore, uh, making sure that my mental health was straight, um, you know, uh, and she's been really big in this whole legal diversity push as well. And so this whole DEI kind of lens that we should look at things, she's been very active in that. So when I left uh, Turo, um, uh, you know, obviously, you know, no one was pleased, you know, it was very somber. Um, but unlike other companies, and, and we've seen this even in the public sector and nonprofit, like you leave somewhere and then they like act like you broke up with them and they don't want to talk to you and all that. We never had that dynamic. You know, we talked, we stayed connected. Uh, I would check on her. She would check on me. And then, man, she just made that faithful call on a Friday and like, look, we want you back. We need you back. We got to have you back. Um, you know, and from there, it's good to follow right. the love, isn't it? It's good to follow the love. Look, don't go where you're tolerated, go where you're celebrated. <laughs> That's right. right. That's how my friend, uh, they, the, the Tessie Mays brothers, Greg Vetter, CEO of the salad dressing company. He's like, I just follow the love, right? That's just follow it, the love. <laughs> and, and it, and it makes a difference. Um, when I tell you I've been given such an open birth, uh, you know probably 
better than others. My challenge over the years was being with people who put me in very narrow boxes. And you have kind of that same kind of uh, predicament, if you will, if I could use that terminology, that you're good at a lot of stuff. You know, you're not just monolithic in terms of what your gifting is. And, you know, and so you need a much wider uh, path than perhaps others to be who you're supposed to be. And she has given me that here. And, uh, you know, our CEO and our C-suite and my VP, Lou Bertuka, uh, I am just so incredibly blessed to be able to be involved in as much of the company uh, as I have. And let me just say this uh, regarding Michelle, um, you know, when the social upheaval was going, I mean, she had me uh, facilitating conversations with tech leaders and uh, tech interns. Uh, there's a program she does with legal interns. That was fantastic. Uh, but then she was very supportive. And one of the things that came out of that support was Turo Seed Initiative. And this was incredible because um, while it doesn't just have a preference for Black people or people of color, certainly that's a focus that we have. Uh, anyone can apply to this but we certainly have a focus on increasing black hosts. And I made a bold statement to our CEO and others, anybody who would listen uh, during, you know, the George Floyd protests and things of that nature. I said, clearly I've been saying this from day one, if we can really expand uh, the participation of folks in the black community, Latino community, API community, we will get to where we want to be in terms of profitability, all that kind of stuff. Well, the truth. Well, I mean, just in my personal experience, you're doing it right now, you know, yeah. like, as I'm doing it, I'm seeing yeah. it, I'm feeling it. Yeah. And so the Turo Seed Initiative is a partnership between Turo and a nonprofit uh, called Kiva, which primarily does microbusiness lending uh, internationally, but they also do stuff in the U.S. And so the Turo Seed Initiative offers a $14,000 loan or $14,000, $15,000 loan that is interest-free. Um, and one of the early Turo Seed Initiative folks who was able to uh, crowdfund uh, her loan uh, is a, a wonderful young lady who's a, a, a mother of like three or four kids who works at Turo. And so her children uh, will be positively impacted by this entrepreneurial endeavor that their mother was able to engage in. And hopefully she can grow and maybe add a few cars and then boom, the kids may have a business that they can inherit. Look, you might want to screenshot this for your people, but I want to show it to just uh, show it to you there. This says, you know, an average of seven hundred and six dollars a month. That's right yeah. on the app. Like if you want to be a host, you pull up yeah. the app and it says seven hundred and six bucks. You know, that's real money on average. Real money. That's real money. People just anywhere from yeah. letting their car out a couple days to, to people running sort of uh, mm -hmm. um, with a couple of cars or a couple of options for people, yeah. it looks like. Yeah, very much so. 
But so uh, talk to me about your favorite incredible. place to practice. Talk to me about your favorite place. I'll let you go in a second, but I have a sure. few more for you. Let me know where your favorite place. I'm going to pin you down a little bit. You're not want to get pinned down because you're too good, but just for an old friend, tell me what is, tell me about a special place in the country you like to lobby that maybe you didn't envision yourself totally digging but after a day or a week or, or some time there you know the place really made a special impact on you any any locations come to mind um, i've got a few but i'll pick out one uh and i'll say new jersey um turo has a fantastic lobbyist there um she's just fantastic um but I was so struck by the reception by the lawmakers, uh, the esteemed dean of the Senate, Senator Harold Rice. I will never forget this, uh, Damien. You know, he's real man of the people, servant, um, you know, has served, you know, for decades there. And I was having some knee issues, as you know, you know, as former athlete. And so we're going up the stairs. And so I'm trying to get myself situ situated to get up the stairs. This man who is either almost an octogenarian or is an octogenarian grabs my bag and says, Revan, I got it. Come on, follow me. And carries my bag. Wow. At least the Maryland way. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. Uh, and so um, you wouldn't think the Jersey would be so genteel. Look at that. You, you would not. But, you know, some of the other lawmakers that I was able to engage with and chat with um, were so very kind, so very gracious. And so that's one of the states that uh, certainly stick out in terms Trent, of so Trenton, right? Yeah, very uh, rail oriented, but also, uh, you know, you can get there by plane, but uh, it's not a big show off city for sure. I mean, not it's a, it's sort of a meat and potatoes kind of place, isn't it? Very much Trenton. so. Very much so. And, um, you know, and understanding having grown up in Connecticut, I had some understanding of Jersey. And so for those of us who are uh, outsiders, we need to understand that there are three jerseys. There's North Jersey, there's Central Jersey, there's South Jersey. When you understand those kind of nuances, it's it's an even easier way uh, to entreat yourself uh, to the folks that are there because you understand the culture. Well, it's good to hear the jurors getting so much respect there. Um, talk to me about your athletic career. You know, I've got a partner in my firm, Beth Levine, who has done some pretty remarkable things. Uh, you know, she worked for uh, in the U.S. Senate for 16 years. She 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 was a Division One basketball player at Iowa State. I know you have had a pretty remarkable athletic set of athletic experiences in your life. I'd, lo I'd love to hear your take on them and, you know, what 
what they add to your professionalism in this business. Cause Beth to me, when she talks about it, she's, she, I always ask her like what makes her sort of best honed for politics. And she always talks about, you know, even though she wasn't, you know, the number one scorer, she always talks about division one basketball being like her key. So I'd love to hear your, your experience as it sure. parlays into, into our, what we do for a living. Well, you know, my uh, my experience uh, probably was a bit more circuitous than most. Uh, as a senior, uh, I was finally like the man, right? Uh, you know, touted, all that kind of stuff. But I figured, you know, uh, hey, the football guys weren't going to class. Why do I need to go to class? And so I found myself academically ineligible uh, <laughs> the second half of my senior year to everyone's chagrin, because, you know, like, look, you're bright. I was like, well, Hey, I just figured they were going to give me a pass. I'm the man now. Well, they gave me a rude awakening. So that kind of <laughs> first brush with the, the, the downsides of entitlement, right? Yes, sir. <laughs> and so, you know, I mean, the good thing was, was I had, uh, help the team win enough games that they could go to the tournament. So, and that was the first time uh, my high school went to the tournament in like 20 years. Uh, but the lament for everyone was I should have been out there and there was so much more that we could have done. So that kind of threw my recruiting just in shambles and all that kind of stuff. And, but I was benefited uh, from the tutelage of NBA players like Mike Adams, uh, former Washington Bullet, uh, and then of course uh, the the one and the only Rick Mahorn. Um, these were guys that raised me up, uh, and then my contemporaries were gentlemen like Ben Baker, um, and then the two people that dunked on me the worst in my life. Vin Baker and John Starks, the former Nick. Yes, sir. So that was in my my time in Tulsa uh, when I was uh, serving as assistant minister of the uh, Mount Zion Baptist Church of Tulsa. So that's the church that got bombed during uh, the race ride. Yeah, talk about that a little bit. So uh, finally getting some attention on that issue, yeah. but Very Tulsa, much. the uh, what had the leading African American business community in the Greenwood. country, right? Yes, sir. Greenwood, yes, sir. And and I was privileged to talk, you know. So I left um, in '93, so. I still had that opportunity to talk to the firsthand survivors, you know, the folks who are, were old enough to kind of really, you know, so these weren't the kids uh, that were survivors. You know, these were folks who had gone into teen and adulthood. And uh, I mean, we, you know, I, I mean, it's tragic. Story. WTF. I mean, what the, you know, like, mm -hmm. can you imagine trying to process that? Well, I mean, yeah. And and to you helped you helped to process that, so you know right. you don't have to imagine. I just it's right. it's 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 stunning. Yeah, it it really that it's that is. close, right? That it's that close. And and the fact that you know there's still a mass grave that 
you know, folks have not been identified from. Um, and, you know, this whole idea of uh, my daughter's uh, very involved and she's on staff for the, uh, I believe it's the Human Rights Campaign. And um, she did a- Great outfit. Uh, she did a, uh, um, I guess a panel discussion uh, and she was born in Tulsa. So it's, it's a bit personal for her because, you know, that's part of her roots. Um, and, um, you know, this whole idea of how do you arrange some appropriate redress? I know people don't like the term reparations, but uh, in her video, I, I got to send you a clip of that. You know, she said, but well, everybody ought to say reparations, reparations, reparations. Very funny. It's hilarious. Um, but, you know, those yeah, families he, deserve redress. They you wouldn't think the, the root word repair would, would be met with such enmity, right? Well, <laughs> and she broke that down etymolo uh, etymologically, uh, just as you did. You know, the root word is repair. And so... Why would we be opposed to repairing uh, something that, you know, a, a system and a group of people uh, destroyed? Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of, a lot of people don't want to admit their perspective because it's a if you really examine what you think about things, sometimes it can be very stressful to your self-image mm -hmm. so i've always appreciated you being so welcoming and uh constructive about the conversations around race Do, you know i feel like it's a i feel like uh, it must be a special burden for an uh, a black lobbyist in maryland you think that you think that is all across the industry, no matter where you are, sort of a, a special burden or a special privilege. It's just, it's something special. Mm -hmm. uh, but I wonder, I, I just wonder how you react to that. Yeah, it's a responsibility um, and it is unique. It is special. Um, some of us are anointed and appointed for it, right? Uh, I believe I'm in that number. And, you know, uh, you know, my background, you know, I have bipartisan credentials. I've worked for some of the most high profile Democrat as well as Republican elected officials, you know, in, in the country, um, you know, worked in the RNC and the DNC. Um, and so, you know, I'm able to take a message uh, across the aisle to, to both major parties in a way that I don't think other people are. Um, you know, I've been talking a great deal to GOP lawmakers, uh, particularly when we talk about vaccine and mass mandates. And I had to explain to one leading uh, GOP uh, lawmaker in uh, Florida that for black people, this is not a political thing. It's a public health thing. The denomination in which I serve buried, Damien, more than 400 pastors and bishops. That number does not include the lay people and lay leaders and others. And then that doesn't include other folks that I know in the black community who have uh, died because of COVID, 
who have lost loved ones because of COVID. And so it, it, it is not a political thing. It is a public health issue. It is a life and death issue uh, for us uh, for a myriad of reasons, um, you know, comorbidities, underlying conditions, whatever the case may be, Black folk are dying at a much higher rate than our white brothers and sisters. And it's almost like, um, and you'll have an appreciation for this because you were a staffer, a chief of staff who uh, served uh, in East Baltimore. Um, You know, there was a time where nobody cared about folks being addicted to heroin until, you know, white folks in Western Maryland uh, started doing heroin because they couldn't get oxy anymore. Right. And then we went from locking them up to, oh, we need to get treatment. Well, we were saying that 10, 20 years ago, but y'all wasn't trying to hear that. Y'all was locking them right. up. That's right. So until this hits folks, um, unfortunately, some folks are going to continue with the pro- posture that they have. The reason they posture the way they are is just like people postured before addiction hit their families is it hasn't hit them yet. And I don't want it to hit them. I I don't want them to go through uh, where, you know, in the church of God in Christ, we, we were burying people like two, three funerals of church leaders, like literally Damien, the general board, the governing board of the the denomination was decimated. Half of the bishops died. What a a dramatic institutional loss of memory, not just memories, but Mm -hmm. the the culture, just everything. I mean, these are iconic figures. And then we started, you know, folks were saying, well, they were older. Well, then we started having folks in their 40s and 30s passing away. Well, so, one thing I hope you can do out there in your in your uh, travels and government affairs and uh, technology, uh, just give Maryland a big shout out for what they're doing in healthcare because uh, because they have that Maryland model, which. Uh, with your favorite uh, governors in mind, no matter which side of the fence you're on, they, they all agree that our model for healthcare delivery is pretty special. And, you know, on in some of the equity places, uh, I think did really well um, in some of the equity concerns. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, just uh, give us a shout out there in Maryland for what, what our folks are doing when, when you're out around the country to have, have them take a look at this program, because it, it really it really does seize upon these equity and healthcare issues that, that mm-hmm. you're pointing to and that you're experiencing, you know, like nobody else. I mean, you're, yeah. you're seeing some of the greatest leaders in, um, in theology in America stricken down. Yeah, very much so. And as a former lecturer of the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg school school of public health, I do brag about Maryland healthcare delivery. Uh, Look I gotta you. say, I miss it. And, you know, just like urgent care is just so on point. Like I, uh, I really think at the early onsets, I did have COVID um, and I went through the flu tests and things of that nature, but went to an urgent care. Uh, all the apparatus 
was at the urgent care. So they didn't have to send me anywhere. And I was like, man, I miss Maryland. <laughs> got you know my results me. back like that. I mean, <laughs> you know me, Pastor. I wasn't so worried about my uh, my physical health as I was my behavioral health throughout <laughs> this whole thing. <laughs> but uh, sure. hey, thank you for being so special. Thank you for being one of those, you know, 11 people that will just uh, ping you throughout your career throughout your life and say just the most lovely thing that gets your head in the right mindset and i think you've done it to me twice in the last couple years it's just it's not like anything else and so i congratulate the people of uh, turo for luring you back to your uh, your proper your proper leadership place over there and and uh, just so grateful for your time today well, I'm so uh, elated that you asked me to, to chat with you today. Um, and, you know, this is one thing, particularly in the light of the pandemic, uh, folks are leaving this earth. And what I've tried to do and be consistent of is to encourage and speak well of people. Um, it doesn't cost us much. And then also, Damien, it's easy to tell the truth than to lie. So <laughs> when I say those nice things about you, it's easy to say uh, because it's truth, it's fact. And so I want to encourage your listeners that if you have a positive thought, if you think about someone, don't hesitate, call them, encourage them, because you may not have that opportunity again. You heard it. You heard it from one of the masters. <laughs> Pastor John Heath, thank you so much for joining us on Center Maryland's The Lobby. Oh, thank you, my brother. And you have a great one and best to your family. Thank you, man. Peace so much to you. Take care. Bye-bye.